Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Tim Ryan, an associate pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. All right. Oh, is it cold. I walked here this morning. I don't live that far away. Bundled up. I got ski goggles. I got smart when I walk. At least I don't freeze my eyes out. So everybody just kind of shiver. What, why, like, why do we do that? Because I just told you to. <laughs> um, but physiologically, apparently, when, when your body shivers, the brain's telling the body muscles to start moving because you're getting cold. That never works for me. Does it work for you? I need a, not a, my warm wife or a really nice warm blanket or something, shivering just doesn't do that for me. So I was checking, because we're going to go in, into uh, Jonah, and Joppa, the part of the earth close to Israel, right on the, on the east coast of Mediterranean where Jonah went, right now, on December 31st, the water near Joppa is 20 degrees Celsius. Anybody ready for a field trip? I'm ready to go swimming close to, close to Joppa. That would be really good. So let's pray, because we're not going there, but we're going to go there in our imaginations. So let's pray, and we'll get right into this message. God, thank you. Thank you for this time that we can get together as a church, as a family. Thank you that we can worship you. Thank you that we can listen to your word. We can read your word. We can learn. God, thank you for this last year, the good, the bad, and, and the ugly. God, you are there every moment. You've never left us. You've always been, always been faithful. Thank you. And so, Holy Spirit, as we move into this message, as we look into the life of Jonah, would you speak to us? Would you encourage us? Would you push us a little bit? And we thank you for all that you're going to do in this, in this morning and uh, thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, January 1st of this year, I did message number one. It's not about the big fish. And the main theme of that message was the words that Jonah said in, in Jonah 4, I know you, God, are a gracious and compassionate God. That was the whole, that was the main point. This is who God is. This is who, who Jonah recognized. And we talked about the forgiveness of others. Now, for some of you may go, well, who is this? What is this Jonah? Let me give you a quick recap. Jonah is a prophet. He is supposed to go to the city of Nineveh. And to preach, because they were desperately wicked, he was supposed to preach there and tell them to repent. He decided, no, I'm not going there. Instead of going east, I'm going west. He goes to Joppa. He jumps on a ship to go to Tarshish. He wanted to get away. God sends a huge storm. The sailors are panicking. They figure out that we need to throw Jonah overboard, and that will hopefully stop the storm, which it does. And then Jonah's just bopping along in the water, 20 degrees Celsius, might I remind you. And all of a sudden, a fish, huge fish, a sea monster, whatever you want to call it, comes and swallows him whole. 
Didn't see that coming. And then he's in the belly of the whale for three days. He's spit up. And then he goes off to Nineveh and preaches. They all repent. And then he gets really mad, really brumped, really grumpy. And he goes off, and that was part of the, the second message in August that I spoke on, when Jonah, and we talked about Jonah and the worm. And so he goes on the edge of the city, figuring, I'm going to watch this city burn, because certainly God's still going to bring judgment. And the shade that he made is terrible, so then God made a bean caster plant kind of thing grow really high and provide him the shade. But then he sent a worm, and the worm ate the bottom of, the, of that plant, and it died. And that's where the story ends. And in that message, we talked about it was really about reconciling with enemies and being honest with ourselves. And the verses were, search me, O God, Psalm 139, and know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts, point out anything in me that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. 1 Corinthians 10 says, So if you think you are standing firm, it was a warning for us in that message. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. The Living Bible says, So be careful if you're thinking, Oh, I would never be like Jonah. I'd never behave like that. Let this be a warning to you, for you too may fall into sin. We had to be honest with ourselves and to sit down with self-reflection. That was message number two. Now, you may be asking, why, why do we as pastors and, and preachers always visit and talk about the stories of the Bible? Why do we share them as stories, as illustrations, and point to all these different truths and stories in the Bible? The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 says, these things happen. And he had just been talking about a whole bunch of stories from the Old Testament. He says, these things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did back then or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, and he's recounting one story, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. And, they, and we must not, he goes on, and we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Judgment. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died from snake bites. Another story. And don't grumble as some of them did and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things, Paul is saying, these things happened to them as examples to us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. That's us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Verse 12. So if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Second Timothy. The Apostle Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, he says, all scripture, all scripture is inspired, not a nice little inspiration, written, given with intention, 
really, truly, deeply inspired, given by God, and useful. Not just, oh, that's a nice thing to have. The most important tool in your tool belt, the most important resource that you could ever have to teach us what's true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when you were wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses us, uses it to prepare us and to equip his people to do every good work that he's designed for us to do. So, now we want to get to the big fish in Jonah, the part you've been waiting all year to get to. Am I right? So I want to use three objects within this message to help us pull it together. We're going to talk about running shoes, seaweed, and dumbbells. So let's look at how God deals with a person who's running or rebelling, and let's go to the running shoes. Chapter 1 of Jonah has him running and for a short time swimming. So Jonah got up after God had told him to go. So Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction in order to get away from the Lord. He went down to the seacoast to the port of Joppa. Did I tell you it was like 20 degrees in the water there? Where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping that by going away to the west, he could escape, keep that word in your mind, escape from the Lord. But as the ship was sailing along, suddenly the Lord flung, I like that word, flung, flung a powerful word, word uh, flung a powerful wind, wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to send them to the bottom. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods to help and threw cargo overboard to lighten the ship. And all this time, believe it or not, all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will have mercy on us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused a terrible storm. When they did this, <laughs> Jonah lost the toss. What have you done to bring this awful storm down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What's your line of work? What country are you from? What's your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, uh, who happened to make this sea, mm, who made the sea and the land. And then he told them that he was running away from the Lord. The sailors were terrified when they heard this. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. They groaned. This is the obvious point. The dawn moment here as you're reading through Jonah. You can't escape God. No matter where you go, no matter what has happened in your life, you are not lost to God. Let's talk about what it means to be lost. My daughter gave me a, a book for Christmas by John Ortberg called Soul Keeper, and it's 
about trying to keep your soul and do well with your soul and take care of your soul. Really, really good book. So I'm about a third of the way through, almost halfway. But there was a quote that arrested me, really got a hold of me as I was working on this message. He says, a ruined soul is a lost soul. I had always thought that a lost soul referred to the soul's destination, not its condition. But it's the condition that is the real problem. We are not lost because we're going to wind up in the wrong place. We are going to wind up, wind up in the wrong place because we are lost. Think about that. We are not lost because we're going to wind up in the wrong place. We are going to wind up in the wrong place because we are lost. Currently, in your life, if you're lost, you will end up in all kinds of wrong places. And if you continue to remain lost the rest of your life, you will end up in the very wrong place. So this begs the big question. Jonah has all kinds of questions as we go through that we need to ask ourselves. Is your soul lost? When you look deep into your soul, when you look deep into your life, are you lost? When will you stop running? Is the next question. When will you stop running? When will you let yourself be found? One of the most important pieces of advice that when you are lost in the woods, the best piece of advice you could ever be told if you get lost in the woods is to stop and wait. Stop. Stop wandering and let yourself be found. Stop it. Just stop. Stop where you are. Let yourself be found. And here's the invitation for you to get found. You may be lost, but you are not lost to God. Will you be found by God? So here's the invitation. I'm not going to wait till the end of the message. I'm only halfway through page two of 20 pages. No, I'm no, just kidding. I'm not going to wait till the end of the message. I'm going to stop right here. Time out, pause. If you're lost right now, and you know you need to be found by God, now's the right time to do it, and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer that if you're lost and you want to be found by God, you need to stop right now and say, God, I want to be found. So right now, just everybody bow your heads. Right now, I'm going to pray. And if you want to be found, you just pray along in your heart with me, in your heart, saying, God, I want to be found. So, Father in heaven, God, I come to you, and I realize I am lost. I am lost in my current life, and I know, God, if I continue on, I will be lost for eternity. And I come to you, God, right now, I know I'm not lost to you. Find me, 
right now. I repent. I say to you, God, please forgive me for running away from you and running away from all kinds of things, but God, forgive me for running away from you, and I stop. Please forgive me. Holy Spirit, just come into my heart and life. Jesus, come in, and I give you my heart and my life. I give you my soul. I want to be found by you, Jesus. Thank you for finding me here and now, and I live for you the rest of my life. I'm not running away anymore. I'm running towards in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I encourage you, come talk to me or talk to somebody and tell somebody I prayed that prayer with Pastor Tim and I am now found with God. Would you do that? So here's the next question that comes out of Jonah. Where would you and I be if God had not rescued you or found you while you were running or lost? Where would you and I be had God not rescued you or me or found you or me while we were running or lost? I, I often reflect, I often write it in my journal, I, and I sometimes call myself the, the, the lost little boy from Wanak. 99.9% of you have no idea where Wanak, British Columbia is. Doesn't matter. Another story. But God found me at the age of 12 in a small little church of 40 people and got me to a Bible camp and he found me. Whoever finds anybody in Wanak, but God did. And then as I reflect in my journal, often over the years, I reflect and go, where would I be had Jesus not found me? I know my struggles. I know my character. I know what God saved me from. I know how he's changed me, and I know I have a long way to go yet. But I know what he's done in my life, and I know enough to know that had Jesus not found me, I would have a trail of destructed relationships in my life. I'd be a mess. I know that about myself. Where would you and I be had God not found us? This is a good time for us to reflect on the mercy and grace of God upon our lives. Of course, not like the self-righteous Pharisee that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 18, where this Pharisee stands before God with his arms raised, go, oh God, thank you for saving me, and I'm not like that worthless sinner over there groveling. Meanwhile, at the same time, the sinner is bowed before God, not even lifting his head and go and say, oh God, save me, forgive me, I am a worthless sinner. That part of us, when we have to realize where we've come from, is a good reality check and a good way to realize and go to God, God, thank you that you found me. Wherever I was wandering, you found me. There's also that humble gratefulness of what has not happened to you. What you didn't do in your life. 
And actually, it's not about you or me. You and I may have made some good choices, but it actually all goes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit who kept you, who stopped you, who protected you, who helped you make some good choices. It was Jesus that did it, not you or me. The Holy Spirit put that check in your spirit to not do something to not choose that direction. And sometimes the Holy Spirit puts that check in our spirits to just keep your mouth shut. Don't say that. Have you been there? All nod your heads. That's a good idea. Where? Where would you be if God had not rescued you or me and found you when we were running or lost? So now let's get back into the Jonah story. They told him that they, he was running away from the Lord and the sailor was terif- they were terrified when they heard this. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop the storm? What do we do? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said. And it will become calm again, for I know that this terrible storm is my fault. Instead, the sailors tried even harder to row the boat ashore. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, please don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death, because it isn't our fault. Oh, Lord, You have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea. And the storm stopped at once. (laughs) Throw me into the sea and it will become calm again. How did Jonah know that? Was it a sacrifice? Was it instruction from God? Was it maybe Jonah finally giving in to God and entrusting himself to God and saying, okay, I give in, I trust myself to you, I'm I'm just trusting you. Let me ask this question. Is there something you could do to stop your storm? You see, many of us, are in storms. Many of us here are in our own personal storms. There's stuff going on in our lives. And often when we look at these storms, we like to blame others. We like to blame God. Why do we do that? Can't blame God. Or we blame our spouse. We blame the dog. We blame our bosses. Sometimes we even blame Trump. You know what? Let me just say it. Most of our problems, we've brought on ourselves. Am I right? Many, if not most of the problems, we have brought on ourselves. 
So is there something you could do to stop your storm? Often we know the right thing to do, but we choose not to do it or we're afraid to. And, I, and I'll give you that. There's lots of people. I meet with many, many people throughout the week and, and I commend them often. Thank you for the courage to come to me or to any of us as pastors and say, Pastor, this is our problem. We're so, we're so embarrassed. And after we stop going, <gasps> you no, we'd never do that. Don't worry. We never, never do that. We sit there calmly and go, okay, thank you for your courage. There is a way through this. Jesus knows the way through it. It takes courage. But often, there's some things we can do. Are you ready in the midst of your storm like Jonah did? Are you ready to completely trust God in whatever may be going on in your life? Is there a sin that you need to stop? Is there a sin you need to stop? And stop it. If you're looking for something to do before the prayer summit this afternoon, go to YouTube and watch Bob Newhart and his comic clip called Stop It. Have any of you ever seen that clip? Oh, you, you got to see it. It's, 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 it's Tim approved, okay? I'll, I'll just tell you a little bit just to wet your whistle on it, but Bob Newhart, he's a deadpan comedian. Like he is, I, I love that kind of humor, just deadpan. And he plays a counselor. And a woman comes in and says, uh, sir, I need some help. And she starts to explain her problem. And then he goes, okay, well, um, this is what you can do. Well, and she pulls out a pad of paper. Should, should I write this down? Um, no, I don't think so. I, I think you'll, you'll get it. Are, are you sure? No, it's actually quite simple. Well, I, I'm, I'm ready. Okay. It's, it's two words. Okay, what do I do? Stop it. He says, yeah, yeah, but, but, but stop it. Yeah, but there's all this. Stop it. It's hilarious. You got to see it. (laughs) It's deadpan. If you're not laughing, okay, come check. I'll, I'll check and see if you're still breathing because it's hilarious. The point is well taken. We know, we already know many of the things in our lives that we just need to stop. And we have enough of the Holy Spirit and enough personal energy and enough self-control and self-discipline and will to actually stop most of the things in our lives. I know. But, but pastor, there's stuff from my past that needs healing. Yes, I do all kinds of inner healing with people. And that's true. There's stuff from our past. Yes. But many of the stuff, we can just stop it. Can I get an amen? amen. Thank you. Thank you. Just stop it. Now ask for help. Ask for help. Get all the help you can get. Just keep pouring in. Ask for help, but there's no excuses. Stop running. Stop and be found. Do you need to make the next right choice? Then do it. 
then do it. We know it. The sailors knew of the Lord, and they could see what Jonah was doing and was not according to what they knew of God. They knew it. (laughs) Here's another good question. There seems to be a lot of them. Do the not yet Christian people around you see some things in your life that don't match up with your relationship with God? Let me say that again. Do the not yet Christian people or the non-Christian people around you see some things in your life that don't match up with your relationship with God? That's a good test. That's good to know, good to ask if there's some things that we need to change. Ask your non-Christian friends if they'll be honest. Is there some things I need to change? Because they actually know. It's funny how they know. They know. Are there things in your life and my life that are not in line with who God is? Are there things in your life that are not in line with who God is? So notice that once Jonah hit the water, the storm stopped immediately. So what does Jonah do now? Does he climb back into the boat and carry on running? Nope. So let's trade the running shoes for seaweed. If we had the Jaws theme music, this is where we would play it. Can you imagine Jonah? He's sitting there just bopping along in 20 degrees Celsius water and really enjoying it, going, whew, dodge that one. And out of the back comes this huge, huge fish. Did not see that coming. See, the the thing is, we look at these stories, we already know how it happens. The sailors didn't know there was a big fish, and certainly Jonah didn't know. Talk about shock and awe. So did Jonah really get swallowed by a whale? You're probably asking. I'm glad you're asking. Let me answer that. According to Dr. John Morris from the Institute of Creation Research, this is what he says. Skeptics ridicule many portions of Scripture. And let's face it, some of them are difficult to believe. Certainly, one that has received a major dose of such ridicule deals with Jonah and the whale or the great fish. How could a whale or a fish swallow a man whole? How could a man survive in such an environment for any length of time? As always, there are answers to the questions if we are willing to study and believe. First, let me say, he says, let me say that the historicity of this account in history, it is vital to the Christian. Not believing it is not an option. For Jesus Christ himself believed it and made it a model for the doctrine of his resurrection. As he says in Matthew chapter 12, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly's whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So what kind of animal swallowed Jonah? In the passage in Jonah, the Greek word, or in Matthew, the Greek word translated whale actually means a huge fish or a sea monster. 
In the passage in Jonah, the Hebrew word was a normal word for fish, but there was a word modified to add the word great. In addition, there are several species of whale and sharks alive today with gullets large enough to swallow a man whole. Even among the extinct animals like the plesiosaurs, the same could be said, and perhaps this was an unknown fish of a large size. The point is, the story is not impossible. However, most importantly, the Bible says that the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Clearly, this event was miraculous and not just a mere naturalistic phenomenon. Thus, we don't have to give it any explanation limited by modern experience or knowledge. Could a man survive in a fish's belly? There have been several reported cases of modern sailors, even over the last hundred years, and other individuals swallowed by an animal, by a fish, only to be recovered many hours later. Now, some of them may be disputed, so we'll enjoy these stories as possible, but not put a lot of stake in them. However, to deny the possibility of miracles, especially those miracles specifically mentioned in Scripture, including Jonah and the whale, is to deny the existence of God. And this is not an option for the Christian, obviously. The point is, nothing about this story is totally impossible. There are fish large enough to swallow a man. And men have been known to survive inside a fish. The Bible says it really happened. Christ said Jonah's experience was an analogy of his own death and resurrection. And God is alive and capable of this feat, writes Dr. John Morris. See, in any case, it is a mighty experience, evidently well-known and certified to this day, probably contributing in significant degree to the fact that all the people of Nineveh repented and turned to God when Jonah returned from the dead, as it were, to preach to them. I'm sure that story went well ahead of him before he even got into Nineveh. So let's ask this question. Did Jonah really die? Or was he just near death? He was in there for three days. One thing is for sure. Jonah lost all hope of life. Just look at his words in Jonah chapter 2. As it appears, he wrote it after the book is written. He described his prayer. He says, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the world of the dead. The Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. How will I ever again see your holy temple? I sank beneath the waves, and death was very near. The waters closed in around me. The seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was locked 
out of life and imprisoned in the land of the dead. But you, O Lord my God, have snatched me from the yawning jaws of death. Now, whether he actually died physically or not actually doesn't matter. But he certainly lost all hope. But being in that big fish became a safe place for Jonah and God to meet. It became that safe place. So what's it like to be in a huge fish? Actually, I have no idea. What do you do in a big fish? Evidently, not very much. From our place here, after the story has been told, we know it's only three days. But Jonah, for all intents and purposes, as he's in this whale, he has no idea how long he's in there. We know the end of the story. He had most likely resigned himself to drowning in the stormy sea. But when the sea becomes calm, is he saved? Nope. Who comes back from this? What's it like to die? What's it like to be near death? What's it like to be in so much trouble that you might as well die? And that's what Jonah, at the very least, that's where he was. He was rebelling, he was running, and now he was caught. And it looked like it was all over. Let me say this. You are not yet lost to God even when you rebel. You are not yet lost to God even when you rebel. Psalm 139. The psalmist writes, I can never escape. There's that word again that Jonah used. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell on the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To the night, to you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You are not yet lost to God even when you're rebelling. And you may look at your life, I may look at my life, and there may be different moments in our lives when it seems so dark, so dark, and so enclosed in, and so claustrophobic, and, and, and just so tight that you don't know, even know where to go. You know, one of the things that I often, often do, whenever I hear on the news of an earthquake, and I hear of people trapped under the rubble, I immediately pray for every one of them, Jesus, would they know you, and would they feel you right in the midst of their, their grave? Waiting to be rescued, would they know you? 
Jonah is a clear story and all the promises of scripture. It doesn't matter how dark, how closed in your life is. It's not dark to God. It never is. He prayed inside that fish. He prayed inside the trouble. And note that Jesus was also in the grave for three days. He's gone there ahead of us. He's already been there. He himself descended into Hades, into Sheol, and, and preached to the lost souls, Ephesians tells us. And he took theirs and took our keys back, Revelation chapter 1 says. Since Jesus has risen from the dead, that means that even in death, even in death, you are and will be in a very safe place. The safest place in all the universe with Jesus. Realize and remember that Jesus has already walked through death. So let's go back to Jonah's story. Jonah was running from God, hence the running shoes. And, we got, and he got all messed up in the seaweed. As I mentioned in my two previous messages, Jonah still had a rebellious attitude. And the story doesn't get neatly tied off in the ending. And we're left hanging there as to whatever happened to Jonah. So I get this uncomfortable question swimming around in my mind. Yes, I really said that on purpose. I get that un uncomfortable question swimming around in my mind. How long, how long does mercy and compassion last? Does God ever say enough of your rebellion and running? Enough. But, you know, you say, but the Bible often talks about God's compassion never ending and his love is everlasting. What do, what do we do with that? We must always have scripture inform scripture and our understanding of biblical truth must be informed and be balanced in scripture, not giving way to our opinions and our feelings, not even our circumstances. The Apostle Peter was a very close friend of Jesus, and he was at a number of times at the other end of Jesus' correction himself. And so he, in a good place, he reminds us in 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, First, I want to remind you that in the last days there will be scoffers who will laugh at the truth and do every evil thing they, they desire. Scoffers. This will be their argument. Jesus promised to come back again, didn't he? Well, then where is he? Why, as far back as anyone can remember, everything has remained exactly the same since the world was first created. Where is Jesus? He's not coming. Peter goes on to say, but they deliberately forget, deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command and he brought the earth up from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used that same water to destroy the world with a mighty flood. And God also commanded the heavens and the earth will be consumed by fire on the day of judgment when the 
ungodly people will perish. Peter goes on, but you must not forget, dear friends, that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day, meaning God is timeless. He's not wrapped up in time. He's not bound by time. The Lord really isn't slow at all. The Lord really isn't being slow about his promise to return as some people think or scoff or mock. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, no one to perish. So he is giving more time for everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and everything in them will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be exposed to judgment, burned up. Since everything around us is going to melt away, what holy and blameless godly lives we should be living. But we're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that he's promised, a world where everyone will be right, is right with God. And so, dear friends, while we are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to live a pure and blameless life. Be at peace. Make every effort. Be at peace with God. And remember... The Lord is waiting so that people have time to be saved. Believe it or not, I've actually had people say to me straight to my face, it's all good, God will forgive me down the road. Really? Can we be that presumptuous? And I'm thinking to myself, man, you're already deceived. You're already deliberately forgetting. Galatians chapter 6 says, You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful desires will harvest death and decay from that sinful nature. Those who live to please the Spirit will harvest Everlasting life from the Spirit. You cannot mock, scoff the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. So now we move from the running shoes to the seaweed and now to dumbbells. And you're thinking, well, why dumbbells? Well, for most of us, they're the easiest things to lift if we're trying to do any kind of exercise. Don't do the barbells. Do the smaller, like the two-pound, you know, or, or whatever you need to get up to. But they're the easiest things to actually start exercising. That's what I'm using now for last year. Hebrews chapter 12 says, No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there is a peaceful harvest. There's that word again. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there is a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. 
There's two kinds of discipline. There's a discipline for correction from the outside authority. Yes, God brings along things into our lives to correct us, to adjust us, to get our attention, to wave that big flag, to turn us around, to do whatever he can. God also uses our parents to correct us. Yes, he uses our parents to correct us, to guide us along. Yes, he also uses our bosses. Did you know that? He also uses our bosses. Our regular reviews, employment reviews, yep. Yes, he'll also use your spouse. Yep. He'll use all kinds of things from the outside. But discipline from correct, for correction can also come from the inside. As you and I are self-disciplined, as we are exercising self-discipline and placing ourselves within God, placing ourselves in relationship with God and listening, then together with our self-discipline and the Holy Spirit, he will reveal things to us. That's where the correction comes from. That's where that exercise comes from. So Hebrews 12 says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there is a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. And so the writer of Hebrews would say to Jonah, says to us, so take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet. So that those who are following you, is what he's inferring, those that are following you who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Jonah, you needed to strengthen, take a new grip and strengthen your weak knees. And you needed to go to Nineveh. Church, we need to strengthen our, new, strengthen our knees and take a new grip with our tired hands and mark out a straight path for our feet so that those are around us, those that are following us, who may be weak and lame, will not fall but become strong. This is, this is the time for self-reflection, for self-awareness. This is the biggest lesson, the most important lesson in the whole story of Jonah. It's time for us to step up and do what is right and to take the right steps forward. Think about Jonah being in the fish for three days. Jesus being in the grave for three days. Consider how the Apostle Paul, after he had that, that huge Damascus Road experience when he met Jesus and Jesus sent him ahead to the next city and said, wait, three days. Why? Why three days? There's work to be done. Jonah needed to get right with God. Jesus needed to go and to preach to the lost souls. The apostle Paul needed time to wait and think and reflect. The apostle Paul needed to get the gravity of what he had done in his life. To grow thirsty and hungry for God a sense of desperation. He needed those three days to learn how to really hear from God. Self-reflections and self-examinations are helpful to evaluate our lives and make a mid-course correction. Look at our lives. Look at our families. 
Look at our finances. Look at our schedule. Look at our hearts. Look at our ministry. Look at our calling. We already know what we need to do and stop doing in our relationships, in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces, and our lives. We need to stop and, can, and keep evaluate. Remember the running shoes, the seaweed, and the dumbbells. So here's the weekly challenge. Actually, this might be a challenge for all month of prayer and fasting. January is the annual month of prayer and fasting. Purpose to be reflective and self-aware. Invite the Holy Spirit to show you areas in your life that he wants you to work on. What do you need to stop doing? What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to start doing? Am I in a place to hear? And this would be a good time to sit down with God for a while, for a season. Not just a moment or one devotion, but over a while, a season. And what does God want for you? In a moment, I'm going to pray. And you're invited to go to the prayer room, which is out through those doors into the prayer room, and sit and pray with somebody. Maybe something's going on in your life, and maybe something's challenged you to pray with somebody. And then a reminder, we'll see you at the prayer summit, 4 o'clock this afternoon. Would you bow in prayer with me, please? Oh, God, thank you for Jonah. God, thank you for his example. Thank you for the many questions and lessons that come out of a simple story. And God, we just ask that you will continue that good work in us that you have begun. Thank you that we're never, ever lost to you. Thank you that you found us. And thank you that you're with us. And so God, we say to you, help us, lead us, guide us, teach us. We want to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.